Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and the NFL season is back. That is right. It it really snuck up this year, and obviously I'm paying attention to the NFL and paying attention to what's going on in training camp, but with no preseason games, you didn't get that primer like you're used to, and suddenly we've got NFL football uh, and, and an NFL, a full slate of games on Sunday coming up here. It's uh, it's really exciting. I am glad Chicago Bears football is back. And I, I'm really curious as to what we're going to get out of this team this year. Let's, uh, let's just dive right into it. Let's talk about the quarterback situation. I'm going to get into that quarterback situation in detail with Aaron Lemming of Bear Report and Windy City Gridiron. He's going to join me here in a little bit, but I want to get to some things first. And we'll start with the quarterback situation because I think the defense this year is going to be fine. If it stays healthy, we're going to get that Chicago Bears defense closer to that 2018 version than the 2019 version. It's going to be tough to ever exactly get that 2018 version but i do think we're going to see more sacks and more turnovers and and more havoc from the defense last year last year was more of that bend don't break defense this season we know what this season comes down to this season comes down to execution at the quarterback position and yes i understand those who support mitch trubisky are going to say it's a lot more than that and yes it comes down to offensive line play and running the football and the receivers and all that and everyone's going to point to oh well the drops were up last year the offensive line wasn't as good last year and and matt Nagy's play calling i understand all the situations that happened last year and i am not diminishing any of those but none of that matters when the quarterback is playing as poorly as he did and as poor as some of those other issues were They were not so poor that Trubisky, that a good quarterback shouldn't have been able to overcome it, that a number two overall pick in the draft shouldn't be able to overcome. I mean, let's look at it. I understand everyone wants to bag on Charles Leno and say the pass blocking was terrible. The pass blocking was not terrible. The sacks were up last year, but if you look at advanced analytics, a lot of those sacks are contributed to Mitch Trubisky, to faults that he had. If you look at advanced analytics and you look at how the offensive line played in pass blocking, I am not talking about run blocking. In pass blocking, the pass blocking was average to below average. It wasn't great. I'm not sitting here saying it was phenomenal. It wasn't the Dallas Cowboys, but the pass blocking was good enough, okay? The drops were definitely an increase and the drops were a problem, but the drops aren't enough to suddenly say the quarterback can go from competent to terrible. That's not the case there. 
So again, drops not enough. Nagy's play calling. And yeah, I question some of the stuff Matt Nagy did, especially in the red zone. But the bottom line is when you look at the all 22, there were receivers that were schemed open that the quarterback missed. So what I'm saying is a lot of this stuff, and I get the tight ends too. Tight end play was terrible. And the tight end play is not Mitch Trubisky's fault. Now I will admit he missed some tight ends from time to time. Again, all 22, you'll see Trey Burton in the seam open. You'll see he missing Horstead and he missed Broniker. There were plenty of times where he missed opportunities with the tight end, but regardless, even with that, the tight end play wasn't good enough. But again, tying that all together, if the quarterback play was better, if Mitch Trubisky was executing the offense better, every single one of those things would have been diminished. The quarterback play highlighted and exacerbated all those things, making them all worse. The quarterback play needs to be better. And I, all off season, was telling you how much I thought that the coaching staff and Matt Nagy and they were not going to fully commit to Mitch Trubisky. I told you they weren't gonna pick up the fifth year option. I will admit, I am surprised Mitch Trubisky is starting week one. Because see, here's the problem. Forget Nick Foles, okay? He beat out Nick Foles in a quarterback competition. Whether that's because Nick Foles is a bad quarterback, because as much as I'm down on Mitch Trubisky, I didn't sit here and tout Nick Foles as a, as a star quarterback. Go look at my tweet when, when they signed Nick Foles. I think I just said, well, this is terrible, something like that. I'm not a big supporter of the move, especially with the, the guaranteed money, especially with the fourth round draft pick. I'm not a big supporter of the Nick Foles move. I do think Nick Foles is a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky, but the bar is set low there. So put Nick Foles aside. Mitch Trubisky needed to show big amounts of improvement this offseason, and he didn't. Now, I understand someone's going to highlight a, a column from, 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 from John's or a column here or there, whoever it might be, saying, oh, Trubisky did this, Trubisky did that. And yes, they said Trubisky's footwork was better. And, you know, you heard Matt Nagy say positive things. You heard some of the other offensive players say positive things. Lauren Cox, if you follow him on Twitter, had a great thread. He said, look at what all the Bears players are saying and the coaches are saying about Mitch Trubisky. He's in control of the offense. He's improved. He's ready to break out. This is it. This, we're all set for Mitch Trubisky. And what Lauren didn't tell you until the end of the thread is that these are the quotes we got about Mitch Trubisky before last season and we know how flat he came out of the gate. So that is all rhetoric. I am not interested in what I'm hearing from coaches about Mitch Trubisky. Has his footwork improved and his mechanics improved? Looks like it probably did, great. But that doesn't improve the fact that if Mitch Trubisky isn't executing the offense at the right speed and making decisions as quickly as he needs to, this offense is not going to be at the level it needs to be. And I haven't seen any evidence that Mitch Trubisky has done that. With the limited information that we got out of, out of training camp this year, and it was few and far between, Mitch Trubisky was still making terrible mistakes. Mitch Trubisky threw a pick six to Kyle Fuller on an RPO. Let me repeat that. Mitch Trubisky, through a pick six on an RPO. Mitch Trubisky ran out of bounds instead of throwing the ball away in a, in a game situation to take a sack. These are in practice when the pressure is lower. These are not game, they were game situations, but this is not an actual game. There are still a lot of signs 
that Mitch Trubisky is airmailing deep balls, is, you know, is not reading defenses efficiently, is having issues running the offense. And if he beat out Nick Foles, all that means to me right now is either Nick Foles was behind because of COVID and he wasn't around the players, or that the coaches and Ryan Pace misevaluated another quarterback. And Nick Foles is not going to be the Eagles version of Nick Foles. He's going to be the Jaguars version of Nick Foles. And Mitch Trubisky might be better than the Jaguar version of Nick Foles. I think we're probably eventually going to see Nick Foles and see that he is closer to the Eagle version than the Jaguar version. But look, the bottom line is here, the Chicago Bears have a terrible quarterback situation. They don't have a quarterback that even on their best day is a top 20 quarterback in the NFL. And I understand how much people want to see Mitch Trubisky succeed. And I understand I've been labeled a Trubisky hater. And that is not the case. I am not a Trubisky hater. I am a realist. If you go back and look at things I've said, whether it be on this podcast, and I'm not asking you to go do it. No one's going to bother to do it, but I'm just saying, and you can trust me on this. If you go back and listen to everything I said um, when he was drafted, I said, all right, the, the trade might have been a little risky, may have been unnecessary, but let's give it a chance. You know, Ryan Pace was getting his guy. I said, you know, give him a chance. You know, the things with Fox and everything were unfair. Nagy, you know, give him a, a second year in the system to really understand. I gave Trubisky the benefits of the doubt, but when Mitch Trubisky, a third year in the NFL and a second year in that system, and all the coaches, everyone they surrounded with to help tutor him and do everything they could to get him where he needed to be, when he executed in his third year like he did, I am out on Mitch Trubisky. And I've said this, I still think there's a chance Mitch Trubisky could be a quality quarterback in this league, but it's going to take years for him to get there. I think he has a lot to learn on an offense and he has to really you know, be able to read a lot quicker than he's currently able to. And I don't think this is gonna be fixed in a couple games or a couple months of training camp or a little more tape. This is something that's going to take years for him to get there. Alex Smith took a while to put it all together. Rich Gannon took it a while to put it all together. I don't know if he's ever gonna win an MVP when he's 33 or 34 like Rich Gannon did, but he has the type of ability that if he puts it together between the ears, I think you're going to see a good quarterback in Mitch Trubisky eventually. I don't know if that's ever gonna happen, but I think that potentially could, but it's not gonna happen in Chicago. It's going to happen down the line with Trubisky's second or maybe even third team, because I think he just needs that many more years of learning. And it's just, it's just not gonna happen in Chicago. That's my belief. And look, and I will say this right now, I want Mitch Trubisky to prove me wrong. He is a great guy. He is a great teammate. The entire team loves him. The coaching staff loves him. Mitch Trubisky, the person. Mitch Trubisky, the intangible leader, whatever you want to say. They all love that guy. I love that guy. That's the guy I want to quarterback my franchise for 15 years. But Mitch Trubisky, the execution of, of the quarterback position isn't good enough. And I just don't see it's going to be good enough. So I want Trubisky to prove me wrong. I want him to succeed as quarterback of the Chicago Bears. I just don't see it happening. So look, Mitch Trubisky, I expect him to play well against Detroit. He plays well against Detroit. I think he might even play well the following week against the Giants because that is a bad defensive football team. But I do think eventually that this is going to catch up with Mitch Trubisky this year. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he has such a good year that 2018 looks like a bad year for him. 
I want Trubisky to succeed. I don't think he's going to succeed. There's a big difference, and I want to stress that here. So I am the first to admit I was wrong about Nick Foles starting week one. I do think things probably would have been different had Nick Foles had a full offseason in Chicago and full OTAs and working with receivers early instead of kind of showing up and having two weeks with players he's never played with to try and figure it all out. If you don't think that didn't put him behind the eight ball, you're crazy. But again, I still think we're seeing a lot of problems with Trubisky and I don't think he's there. But I still think that means he still could be pretty good out of the gate uh, this season with the way the schedule sets up. So I think the Chicago Bears are kind of stuck in the middle I think they're probably looking at an eight and eight, nine and seven type season, maybe seven and nine or six and 10 if they have a couple key injuries. But I think they're kind of an NFL purgatory. The one thing I'll say, the one thing I'll say that I think is positive for the Bears is the NFC North. I don't love the NFC North. I love it for the Chicago Bears, but I don't love the NFC North. As long as Matt Patricia is the coach, I'm not buying the Detroit Lions. I know some people are calling them their surprise team. They're picking them to make the playoffs. Matt Patricia is a bad football coach. I don't see that happening. When you look at the, the Bears, I told you what I think the Bears are, 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, then look at the other two teams. I don't think the Vikings are this unstoppable force. I think they've got questions on the offensive line a little bit. I think you know they, they don't have uh, Stefan Diggs anymore on the offensive side of the ball. They definitely have some question marks on defense. The defense is good but the defense isn't nearly as what it was. Do I think the Minnesota Vikings are probably better than the Bears? I do, but I don't think the Minnesota Vikings are an 11-5 football team. I think they're like a 9-7 football team. And the Green Bay Packers played way over their heads last year, way over their heads. If you look at some of the, some of the advanced stance, the point differential, and some of the other statistics where they were, the Packers have a very inflated record. And I don't know if the, how, where the Packers are, You've got this whole situation with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is, isn't pleased with where they went. They drafted, you know, so you look at what they did. They drafted a, a quarterback in round one. They drafted a running back in round two where they already have Jones. So they did nothing to help this year's team. So I don't think the Packers are a great team either. I don't know if the NFC North has a 10-win football team in the division, and if that's the case, the Bears can be sitting at 7-7 seven and seven through 14 weeks or 15 weeks with the bye and have an opportunity to still win the division and make the playoffs. So I think the Bears have a chance in the division because the division isn't very good. I just think the Bears are an average football team right now, above average at best. So I think the expectations should not be too high, but that's a risk because Ryan Pace went all in on this season and wants to have high expectations because he wants to keep his job. So the Bears, is going to be a tricky season for them. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to exactly maneuver. We'll see how it starts off here with Trubisky and the Lions. So before we get to Aaron Lemming, there is uh, one other thing I want to just bring up on the podcast. I hope you bear with me here. It's a, it's a personal note. Podcast kind of disappeared there for a couple weeks. I wanted to make sure I brought it back before week one, but... Um, I, uh, I lost my dad a little over a week ago, and um, he, uh, he was really important to me, as a lot of fathers are to a lot of people. Um, I'd already lost my mother. Uh, I'm in my early 40s. Uh, my parents started a family late, so it wasn't that they were taken young, um, but, uh, you know, it's still, uh, 
for me, being in my early 40s and not having any living parents is, uh, is, is, is a tough one uh, to come to grips with. But just talking about my dad, my dad really made me the sports fan I am today. My passion for the Chicago Bears, for Chicago sports in general, but for the Chicago Bears, it comes from my dad. So I just want to talk to him here for a few minutes. I hope you, I hope you stick with me and listen, listen to this because, uh, you know, I think he'd appreciate it, and I certainly, certainly would. My dad was an avid sports fan his whole life, especially the Chicago Bears. He and his friends, and then eventually uh, my mom, they knew somebody that had season tickets for the Chicago Bears. Now this is, you're talking late 60s, early 70s. The Bears were terrible. Nobody wanted to go to the games. This dates back to Wrigley Field days. They couldn't go to the games. So this individual had six season tickets for the Bears. Now, when those tickets were difficult to sell, this individual would call my dad in the morning, Sunday, 9 a.m., hey, I got four, hey, I got six, hey, I got two. My dad would always take them. He had sons, this guy did, but the sons were always like, ah, not dad, not interested, ah, dad, the bear stick, not interested. But my dad always stepped up, always took the tickets. Uh, and this fellow was, was a little older. So in the mid 70s, he passed away. And much to the chagrin of his family, he, in his will, he left the tickets to my dad. So we've been fortunate enough here for the last 45 years and for my entire lifetime to have six Chicago Bears season tickets. So you can imagine I spent a lot of Sundays in my childhood at Soldier Field rooting for that football team. I mean, my earliest sports memories are at Soldier Field with my dad. I remember vividly 1985, I was at the Washington Chicago game. 45 to 10 was the final score. The at the time Redskins got out to an early lead. Willie Galt returned a kick for a touchdown. And um, when you've been to a Bears game, you know everyone stands up when something exciting happens. So of course, Willie makes a couple moves, starts sprinting down the field. I can't see, my dad grabs me and holds me up above his head so I can see the touchdown. I remember it vividly. I remember being at that game. I remember that same year, the Miami Dolphins game, of course, the one loss. And I'm sitting there in the living room uh, with my dad watching the game. And of course, the first half is a disaster. And that was right after the Super Bowl shuffle was released. Super Bowl shuffle was released like five or six days before that game. And my dad is furious. Oh, this team, they're so cocky. They're, they're full of themselves. They made this stupid song. They're going to blow the whole season. He storms out at halftime, refuses to watch the game. And I still remember watching the game and he's cleaning out the crawl space because he doesn't want to deal with, with watching the team lose. We got fortunate enough to, to win lottery as a season ticket holder and, and get tickets to the, uh, to the, the Super Bowl that year. And I was, as a kid, I got to go to the Super Bowl 20. And, um, you know, I'm only eight years old or whatever I was. And I missed the first touchdown of the game. And my dad missed the first touchdown of the game because I had to go to the bathroom. So when Matt Suey scored that touchdown, I wasn't there to see it. Neither was my dad. But he was, he brought me to the Super Bowl anyway. I have so many of these memories. I remember in the, the NFC Championship game against the 49ers in 88 uh, or 89. My, it was going to be negative 30 that day with the wind chill. 
my mom says, you're wearing these, this, this, this parka, this giant parka that it was all red. Um, and I said, I can't wear that parka. That is a 49ers, those 49ers colors. All the fans are going to think I'm a 49ers fan. I can't wear it. I can't wear it. I can't wear it. I'm all upset. My mom forces me to wear it. My dad says, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Everyone will know you're a Bears fan. And um, when we get to Soldier Field, my dad pulls out a Mike Singletary jersey. And it was like four sizes too big for me at the time. So I could wear it over my parka. Um, I, I still have that. that uh, I still have the jersey today. My dad was a big sports fan. My dad was a big part of my life. I remember him, you know, as he, like I said, he was an older dad. He always used to, uh, when he was throwing me pitches, he always used to call himself Satchel Page, And he'd be on the driveway pitching to me, letting me uh, practice my hitting uh, and calling himself Satchel Page because, of course, Page was a pitcher in the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that pitched till he was about 50 years old. I have so many memories of my dad, and, and I'm going to miss him. And I hope all of you, you know, all you that have good relationships with your fathers really cherish those relationships. And, and I said this on Twitter when I was talking about my dad, and I'll, I'll say it again. My dad wasn't young, uh, but his, his death was unexpected, as unexpected as it could be for an 83-year-old man. Um, cherish, when you, if you have older parents, if you have parents in their 70s and 80s, cherish every conversation you, you have with them because you don't know if the conversation you're having is the last one. And I don't want to sit there and sound morbid or anything, but it's just the truth. You know, the last conversation I had with my dad was just, it was a forgettable one. For all the unforgettable moments I had with my dad, that's, you know, that's what I'm still reconciling with. So anyway, appreciate y'all sticking with me through that. I, uh, you know what, let's take a break. And uh, when we get on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to Aaron Lemming. We're going to preview the Bears season with him. This is Bears banter. Bill Zimmerman here. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast and uh, getting into what's kind of become a tradition here on Bears banter podcast. Uh, the last, uh, I don't know, third or three or four years in a row now to preview the season. We've had Aaron Lemming, you know, Windy City Gridiron and Bear Report. Uh, he's the... Uh, He's, he's the guy amongst Bears bloggers, and uh, he's going to join us now to uh, preview the season. Aaron, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Doing good, man. Always always good to be on. It's been a little bit since we talked, and kind of like we are talking about before the podcast, man. It's, uh, it's really crazy that the, fo- the, the season's about to start, especially considering everything that's gone on in 2020 so far. Yeah, 2020's been a bizarre year, to say the least, with sports. And, uh, yeah, just with, with no preseason and everything. And, yeah, you know, you're trying to get in news and stuff coming out of training camp, which was very limited. It just kind of feels like the season snuck up this year. It does. It, it really does. And, I mean, it's just – especially with the offseason the Bears had. I mean, it's just been one of those, you know, everybody was kind of hyped up on the, the quarterback competition that lasted all of three weeks and didn't really feel like a competition. And then I don't know – how much you've been on the internet and, and Twitter the last few hours, but apparently Dan Patrick put out something earlier today talking about that Tom Brady was on the bears were on his list of finalists. And it almost had, it's like, man, it's just salt to the wound at this point. You know, I'm just ready to get the season going. And I think we can both say objectively that we hope Trubisky figures it out and that Trubisky is the guy, but at least in my mind, man, my, my faith in him is not too high right now. 
Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, it's uh, no secret for anyone who follows me on Twitter. I'm not high on Trubisky. I was high on him. I gave him every benefit of the doubt. I just don't think he's going to put it together. So let, let's not bury the lead. Let's start with the quarterback competition and the decision to start Trubisky. I thought all along it was going to be Nick Foles. I, I had my reasons. Uh, the top of the list being declining the fifth-year option. 21 guaranteed million dollars to Foles, giving up a fourth-round pick. There was a lot of signs that they were going to start pivoting away from Trubisky, even with this competition. But Trubisky does edge him out. You know, from all signs, it looked like both quarterbacks were pretty underwhelming in training camp. So how was, uh, what was your opinion on how everything kind of played out between Foles and Trubisky? Well, I mean, I was in the same boat as you. I think there was every reason to believe that Foles was going to be the guy. I mean, like you said, you don't, you don't trade away a fourth-round pick in a draft when you don't even pick in the first round and you don't have a third-round pick. And then guaranteeing him $21 million. And everything else has transpired. I mean, just the way Matt Nagy handled the season last year and how disappointing Trubisky was. And then you, you look at just Nick Foles as a whole, right? And the fact that he's so familiar, familiar to the Andy Reid offense. And all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, everything's lining up. Like Foles isn't a good quarterback. He may not even be average, uh, but he has flashes. And we know at least what he is. And it's like, okay. It's going to be somewhat underwhelming. They could have had Cam Newton. They could have had Andy Dalton. Apparently, they could have had Tom Brady. I don't know. You know, there was there was a list of guys that they could have gone with in terms of free agents. Uh, you know, uh, trading partners, and they end up with Foles. And then all of a sudden, COVID happens, and we're sitting in a situation where there's no off-season programs in terms of them actually being there. And then training camp was essentially shortened because, I mean, yeah, they reported at the same time as they normally would, but after the ramp up and everything else that happened, I mean, they had three weeks of practice um, before they had to start prepping for the game situation, which was this week. So, I mean, yeah, you're looking at it and it's one of those situations where why did you go with the familiarity and all these things that would point to Foles and then Foles can't even beat him out in the competition. I mean, this whole thing doesn't make sense, but, and, and people are going to disagree. Uh, you know, it is what it is, but if you look at what Ryan Pace has done with the quarterback situation since arriving in Chicago, it's like, you know, he signs Mike Glennon, and guaranteed him what I think it was what 20 or 20 $21 million when it was all said and done. And then, then he drafts Trubisky Glennon plays four games and basically gets $21 million for it. there was a little bit of an offset, but not by much. And then all of a sudden you do the same thing again with Nick Foles and you trade away a pick. And here we are. My issue with, with everything here. And, and that's the thing. I think everyone thinks I'm a huge Nick Foles, really a huge Nick Foles fan. I didn't like the signing or the trade, I guess at the, at the time, based on the contract Jacksonville was saddled with and, and the situation they wanted to get rid of him, which should have opened the door to not have to give up a, a fourth-round pick. And I hear, of the, oh, the Colts gave, we're going to give a fifth-round pick. The Colts had signed Phil. Whether they were going to give up a fifth-round pick or not was totally irrelevant. So I look at the situation that the Bears were in, and I hear a lot of people saying they should have signed Cam Newton, all these different things that they could have done at the quarterback position, but they also didn't want to let it drag out. They wanted to get their quarterback in there to work with, you know, worth against or with Trubisky, however you want to look at it. So I understand why they went with Foles, but what I don't understand, even though I didn't like the Foles idea, I understand the, the thing behind it. What I don't understand is Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, if you want to throw him in there, but Ryan Pace was going all in on this year. The way he structured contracts, the way 
you know, he brought in a familiar guy, you know, who was going to know his system with Foles, who was going to know the Nagy system. But, you know, bringing in Quinn, older guys, they, Bears under pace have never been just signing 30-year-old-plus guys. They signed a bunch of them this year. They're going all in on this year to try and have as good of a season as they can have. And then at the quarterback position, they're still playing this, well, we're going to see what Mitch has, and then maybe he'll have a short leash. The, how they're handling the quarterback position does not mesh with how they're handling the rest of the team. Well, and you bring up a good point because, I mean, one of the biggest things that Ryan Pace has done since he's come in as the Bears general manager is simple. He has not signed older free agents. And like you pointed out, I mean, they've – you know, the Robert Quinn move, okay, Robert Quinn's a good player, and I like the move to a certain extent, but you're also guaranteeing the guy a pretty good amount of money to be here for a while. And then, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he's had – when he's good, he's good. But his production has been a little bit up and down as of late. And then you look at a guy like Jimmy Graham. The Jimmy Graham signing, the player itself made sense. I understand I, I still would have gone Eric Ebron, but whatever, that's fine. Jimmy Graham makes sense. But what they did in guaranteeing him $9 million and two, two years in total and, and $16 million, that, that contract made no sense. They pretty much tried to set the market at tight end with a guy – who hasn't really been that good since the end of his tenure in Seattle. So it's, and like you pointed out, I mean, there's a lot of things here. It's like you look at, if you look at all of their moves and you just put the quarterback situation out of it, it looks like they are going all in. But then you look at the quarterback situation, it's like, how can you, well, even the offensive line situation, really? I mean, how can you possibly look at this offense right now and say, yeah, this team's all in and this team's a Super Bowl contender. But then you look at their quarterback position, you say, well, but that's still the biggest question of the team. And it's kind of like last year with a kicking situation where they had the circus and the charade and all that stuff of all the different tryouts and all the different guys that they brought in. They had four guys on the roster at one point. And then the kicking situation was still not great. And now we're looking at Cairo Santos as their week one kicker because Eddie Pinheiro once again can't stay healthy. It's just, it seems like one of those situations for Ryan Pace where he has those positions where he just simply cannot do a good job evaluating. Obviously, one of them's quarterback. I think kicker has been another one that you could absolutely argue the same thing for. And the other one, to, my, to me at least, would be tight end where he's taken a ton of swings and he's missed quite a bit so far. And, and that's kind of the troubling thing, right, where you're looking at it. And, and it's not just that they're adding these guys that are over 30 years old and you're making your roster older. And, and just by default, I mean, some of the guys – the defense especially I mean you're looking at guys like Kyle Fuller, Cleo Mack who are getting closer to 30 or about to go over 30 you look at those situations Danny Trevathan the same thing and then you look at the cap situation moving into 2021 and 2022 especially with how COVID's going to affect that I mean there's a, probably a floor of about 175 million for 2021 the Bears are already in cap situation or cap hell to begin with and now you're looking at a problem I mean that's really all there is to it and you know, so what happens if they go, and that's kind of the thing that I've talked about with a few people now is it's like, what's the, what's the worst possible situation that could happen this year? And I look at it and it's like, okay, you know, if the Bears, obviously if the Bears win 10 or 11 games, which they're completely capable of, they still have really good defense. Their quarterback play was awful last year. It really wouldn't be hard to have better quarterback play than they did last year. But would it, you know, obviously winning and getting into the playoffs, okay, then you can kind of figure out the quarterback situation from there. But in my mind, when I look at it, is is going three and thirteen or four and twelve? Like it seems to be the sexy pick for a lot of the national writers to do with the Bears right now. Is that really worse than going eight and eight and being middling and still being in the same situation? At least at three and thirteen, 
you can either clean house with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, or you can objectively say, okay, we still have a solid roster, but at least we're in a spot where we can get a quarterback. We can draft a quarterback, whether that's Trey Lance, whether I don't think they're going to be in the running for uh, Lawrence at this point, or even a guy like Justin Fields. I mean, it's just they're, they're at a very critical point, but the problem is, is much like the Phil Emery situation, their cap health is going to be such an issue. And again, they're aging to the point where it's like you're looking at wasting another really good defense because you can't figure out the quarterback situation. And it's like, I don't know what we did to all become Bears fans and what we did to have to suffer through all this. I mean, you tweeted out the other day, if, if Trubisky threw, what was it, 3,200 yards this year? He's Not even, to... just a touch, touch over 3,000. I mean, that's crazy. And he's going to be the third highest passer in terms of yards in, in Bears history. And I had somebody say, well, what's the problem with that? It's like, what do you mean what's the problem with that? I mean, if you don't see an issue with that alone – in the Bears quarterback history alone, the fact that Jay Cutler is arguably their best quarterback that they've ever had, Jay Cutler, the middling Jay Cutler, I don't care if you hated him, if you loved him, he was never anything more than a league average quarterback when you look back at his overall tenure. And if that is the best that the Bears have done in over 100 years as a franchise, that is a huge issue. And it just doesn't seem fair that we have to continue to struggle through this year in and year out. And I mean, like I said, I love Trubisky. I, Trubisky was a number one quarterback on my board. I was shocked when they took him. I didn't care about the trade up. I thought he was going to be the guy. And I mean, to this point, he hasn't been, and I just don't see how he's going to be. So it's, it's a tough situation going into 2020. Now I don't think they're going to be three and 13. I, I, I think it's much more likely that they'll finish eight and eight at this point, but man, it's, it's one of those situations where regardless of COVID and everything else that's gone on this year, I feel like it would have still been really hard to be overly optimistic or overly emotionally invested in this team going into 2020, just because of how weird of an offseason they had and what a weird position they're going into. Yeah, a absolutely. And, and this quarterback situation is what's going to be, it's what's going to surround this team for, for the entire season, really, because, you know, Trubisky at some point is either going to get hurt or he's going to get benched. That, that seems like an inevitability. And if Nick Foles is inconsistent as Nick Foles can be, then there's going to be a clamoring of fans saying that they should never have benched Trubisky. And when Trubisky is bad and they haven't switched, there's going to be a clamoring of fans that need to see Nick Foles out there. So they've created a mess with their quarterback situation. Now, you know, looking at history and looking at how Trubisky plays, if Matt Patricia doesn't change anything and just continues to do the what you see is what you get defense and doesn't really hide coverages, if we expect Trubisky to have a good game, and I understand the, the wins and losses are going to impact this as well, but if Trubisky plays pretty well against Detroit and plays decently against the Giants with, you know, not, not much in pass rush, not much in secondary, so those first two games do set up well for Trubisky, even if he is continuing to be 2019 Mitch Trubisky, where do you see the leash? Do you think this is a, if he's bad at halftime, he could get benched in one of these first couple free games? Will it be at the end of a game? Will they give him a four to six week stretch? What do you think the Bears will do with the Mitch Trubisky leash? And that's, and that's kind of the question that I think everybody's kind of wondering right now, because I mean, you look at it and you've got the Detroit Lions, the New York Giants, the Atlanta Falcons, those are your first three games right there. And then you got the Colts, the Buccaneers and the Panthers. I mean, the Panthers are not a good team. So the first six games of the season, I mean, you're facing four pretty bad defenses, at least on paper. So it's one of those situations where 
I would say even for as bad as Trubisky played, I last year I, I think that three and three is probably a pretty fair expectation, even if he plays like he did last year. The problem being is that when you look at the second half of that schedule, things get a lot tougher for the Bears, and that's where they see a lot of their key divisional games and they see some of the other tough games that they have on their schedule. So I look at it and I say, okay, you know, let's just look at their actions of what the Bears have done in terms of this offseason and the quarterback situation and their trends and if anything's changed. And frankly, I don't think anything's changed because I think if something had changed, they wouldn't have defaulted to Trubisky and said, well, they played pretty similarly, so he wins the job. If, if this was really the case and they were really looking to make a change, I do not think that Trubisky would be starting this season because by all accounts, the quarterback situation was – pretty even and pretty uh, lackluster. But at the same time, almost everybody said that Nick Foles had the slight edge. And I mean, if you really look at it from the acquisition standpoint, at that point, Foles probably should have been the default guy. He's not. But what that shows me is that the Bears are talking more than anything right now. And, and I've seen theories on it and I've seen them say, well, you know, you don't want to pull Trubisky too early, you know, in the first half of the first game or whatever it is, or a game or two in, because then you don't want Nick Foles to step in and him be looking over his shoulder. And I'm sitting here thinking, if you really look back at what Nick Foles has done over his career when he's coming in these type of situations, when he's kind of been the hero coming off the bench, the dude is not somebody who's going to be looking over his shoulder. I'm pretty sure that he probably thought he should have won the job to begin with. The, the reality is, is, I mean, he's getting paid regardless. And I mean, he was on the verge of retirement a few years ago and now he's got a Super Bowl ring under his belt. He's got plenty of guaranteed money from the Jacksonville Jaguars and he's got another 20 million, you know, from, from the bears at this point. So, I mean, at this point, he's already won a hell of a lot more than I think anybody would have expected four or five years ago. But I, I, I think, when you look at it, I, I, I think that the the big thing here to look at is Trubisky's confidence level. And we saw him lose it last year. I mean, nobody can deny that. And I think it's kind of at a point where once you pull him, and I think this is kind of the argument for why Trubisky should have started the year, is once you pull him, that's that confidence is probably not coming back. And, and I don't disagree with that, but my thought process is if he is that – uh, fragile to begin with his confidence is that fragile to begin with and you've already lost with a guy like that and that's not somebody that you want to get on a hot streak because at what point does that come to an end so I would guess personally I would guess that we're probably looking at a two or three game leash the issue is is it's not like we're we're looking at a situation where he's gonna be facing tough defenses where he's gonna be facing really any primetime games right out of the gate which is the two big things that he's struggled with last year so it wouldn't shock me if he if he lights up the Lions I mean that's what he's done over his career especially over these last three games it wouldn't shock me if he comes out and he beats the Giants and it wouldn't shock me if he if he beats Atlanta and if we're looking at the first three games it wouldn't shock me to see him as like you know a top 12 to top 15 quarterback in terms of numbers my bigger concern is what happens when he starts playing good teams and what happens when that defense can't hold teams to, you know, 10, 17 points a game? What then where's the issue? What happens when he starts getting more pressure? And that's the other thing. I mean, you look at the Lions and you look at the Giants. They were towards the bottom of the league in, in overall sacks and pass rush as a whole last year. I mean, that's obviously going to benefit the Bears. So it's just in – you know, if, if you really wanted to look at it in theory, you would think that the, the leash would be short, you know, two games, maybe three games. But the problem is, is how things set up for the Bears early on. That's my bigger concern because they have an easy schedule early on, at least on paper. And this is not the type of season that you want to start slow with. And, and that's the problem is I, I feel like if Trubisky struggles out of the gate, 
I don't know that the leash is going to be short enough to to be able to uh, you know take away any of the damage that has had. I mean, it's just it's going to be at a point where I think if they go to that, I mean, let's just say even if they're one and three in the first four games and he has one or two good games in that stretch and they finally pull the plug and they go to Foles. It's like at that point, you're looking at, you know, three of those four games should have been very winnable on that schedule. And all of a sudden you're looking at digging yourself out of a hole at one and three and you're putting Nick Foles in. It's just, it's one of those situations where because they did what they did, I feel like they're setting themselves up for a lose-lose situation if Trubisky is bad. And I don't know if the, the leash can be short enough to be able to salvage something if they get off to a bad start. Yeah, they really need to get off to a good start the way the, way the schedule sets up here. And, yeah, they've, they've opened the door for a potentially slow start, and, and that's tricky. So last one on this, and you can just give me a quick answer uh, on this. Doesn't need to be doesn't need to be long and detailed. But if there was no COVID, there was no pandemic, it was a traditional offseason. Do you think with more time with the team, Nick Foles would be starting week one? Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, short answer, I, I think if anything, COVID definitely hurt this. But I think you could probably make the argument for a lot of other quarterbacks that they could have brought in that they may have brought in. I don't think Trubisky's a starter for this team if this is a normal offseason for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. Like you said, who else could they have brought in? I understand why they didn't go for Cam Newton, but if you can actually bring Cam Newton, work him out and see where his health is, maybe you decide to go a completely different route. But that was one thing that they didn't have access to in March. And, and here we are with Nick Foles. But we got a lot, a lot of other things on this to deal with. So let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. Um, let's look at the offensive line. Um, offensive line was a really, I don't want to say controversial, but you know, of argument for a lot of Bears fans last year. Uh, I don't think anyone thought that the run blocking was good. Blocking, some thought it was okay. Some thought it was atrocious. I'm more in that the pass blocking was okay. The run blocking was terrible. I think the run scheme was worse than the run blocking itself, but it's hard to decipher between those two. Juan Castillo really seems like the Bears are going to make more of an effort to run this year. We've heard that song and dance before with Nagy, but – it does seem to be different this year with making a new scheme and, and having Juan Castillo in charge of that. And hopefully it's more of a downhill scheme because, you know, they, they've got some brawlers with Massey and, and guys like that, that if they're getting downhill, they can, they, can, they can move their guys. But in terms of a lot of agility and stuff like that, they, you know, you know certain guys like on their line struggle. So do you think the offensive line will be improved more so in the run game, and what do you think of, of the pass blocking of, of this unit? I definitely think when you look at 2018, you look at 2019, just in terms of overall product, I think that the, the offense, the line itself is going to look more like 2018 than it will 2019, just based on, man, last year was just weird. Uh, but like you pointed out, I think the biggest thing right now is the, the run blocking, and I think he nailed it. I think more than anything, when you look at what Matt Nagy did when he brought in Harry Heastan and when he brought in Mark Helfrich, those were the two guys – that absolutely designed the run scheme and it didn't work. I, I don't really know how else to put it. I mean, all you got to do is watch it. And obviously Matt Nagy's play calling did not help, but Matt Nagy has never been a strong uh, guy in terms of the running game. So I think him going through and him saying, okay, I tried breaking away from the Andy Reid mold. I tried going out. I tried getting guys that maybe weren't from the Andy Reid tree, guys that I was familiar with. That didn't work. So I'm going to bring in Juan Castillo, who I've known for a while. I'm going to bring in Bill Lazor, who I've worked with and that has familiarity in this scheme. And we're going to get back to basics. And if you really look at 
what Matt Nagy has done different versus a guy like Doug Peterson versus a guy, you know, any of the other uh, assistant coaches that have become head coaches under Andy Reid, that was the one real big difference that he made. And that's the thing. I mean, if we really go back and we look at this, and it's kind of funny because it's like Matt Nagy was brought in to be an offensive coach, yet the offense in 2018 wasn't terrible, but 2019 was awful. But their defense has been what has kept them in games and what has won them what what they have. So I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm an Oklahoma Sooner fan, so I saw a lot of David Montgomery. And I think David Montgomery can be a good running back. I think there was obviously some faults there. And I think there's some play calling faults there as well. I think there's a lot of predictability. I think you can watch any game last year. And at points, you could definitely tell when they're going to run the ball and exactly how they were going to run it. But yeah, absolutely. I think the, the overall scheme uh, is going to be big. The one thing that I'm curious on, though, when you look at the quarterback position and how that's going to play into the run game is – I would think that you would probably want, especially with a guy like Trubisky, you would probably want more of an inside zone attack versus a guy like Foles, who is not as athletic, where maybe you would want somebody who's more of an outside zone, uh, you know, with an outside zone attack. So that's going to be the other thing that's going to be kind of interesting to see if they make a quarterback change. Is that going to have an impact on the type of uh, rushing scheme that they have? Yeah, I think I think those are those are all good points. And uh, yeah, David Montgomery is not not the the perfect running back, but I think we saw enough of David Montgomery last year, enough flashes that if he's more decisive at the line of scrimmage, and you know, I think a lot of times it was unfair to him. He was trying to create something out of nothing a lot, and he needed to just get two yards rather than lose two yards. But you know, that's that's tough to ask for a rookie running back. But I saw enough to think that if the scheme is being executed properly. Uh, and it's it's a solid scheme to begin with that he will fit in just well. I think we know that in the NFL these days, for the most part, unless you have an elite back, scheme's more important than than the running back talent. And I think Montgomery has plenty to to execute uh, in in a good scheme. So hopefully Castillo has that because the Bears obviously we don't need to run the ball. I know everyone says Nagy doesn't run the ball, but uh, Nagy's the rushing attempts and sure Trubisky was running more in 2018. The Bears were a top six or seven, whatever it was in terms of rushing attempts. They did run the football in 2018. It was 2019 where they abandoned it all the time in the offense, offense stalled. But let's get to the passing attack here. Um, and I know things are a little different, whether it's Trubisky or Foles, but, but let's look at the weapons. The, the wide receiver units, Allen Robinson, to this point, still does not have an extension. Doesn't look like it's happening before week one against Detroit. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there because we're seeing all these deals that wide receiver deals are getting. Had they signed Allen Robinson four months ago, the deal would have been a lot cheaper than it's going to be if they signed him, you know, four months from now. So I think that was a mistake, but obviously Robinson's really important. You've got Miller, you've got the tight end overhaul unit. Do you think there's how much better, if any, do you think this unit, let's combine wide receivers and tight ends, is for the passing attack than it was last year? Well, I think it's definitely going to be – it's definitely going to be big. And, and I think with Allen Robinson, I mean, to simply put, I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where he's their best offensive weapon. And, and, and I understand that there's definitely things that go on in negotiations, but the reality is, is he needs to be a big part of this offense and he needs to be a part of the offense moving forward, regardless of what you're looking at in terms of if Trubisky's a quarterback, if Foles is a quarterback, or if they're going to go out and draft somebody or they're going to trade somebody or sign somebody, it doesn't matter. I mean, Adam, or at, Adam Allen Robinson is huge for them so 
I think when you look at what they have and obviously having a little bit more of a diverse look at receiver is also going to be big having Darnell Mooney, hopefully Anthony Miller will break out. But I mean, yeah, the, the passing attack as a whole and having more weapons and more proven weapons and actual established guys is going to be huge for them. Yeah. I think, I think that's critical um, because look, the one thing I'll give Nagy credit for is when you watch the All-22, and I, I'll, I'll be the first to say there were some questionable play-calling decisions, especially when they were inside the 20 and threatening in the red zone. But there were plenty of times where receivers and tight ends were schemed open and they were missed last year. If that happens more, I think we're going to see an improvement there because, you know, I think Anthony Miller has the potential to break out. Allen Robinson, like you said, he's their best offensive weapon and still getting better at, at his age. I think there's pieces there. I know you talked about Jimmy Graham. The money they gave Jimmy Graham was obscene. I don't know why they did that. I don't think Jimmy Graham is going to be terrible. I don't think he's going to be Jimmy Graham New Orleans Saints, but I think he's going to be, you know, the best production they've had out of the tight end position in, in quite some time. I think his floor is probably 2018 Trey Burton, um, which, which would be an improvement. At least that's, that's my opinion. Uh, we'll see about Colt. Usually – out of the tight ends as a rookie, but hopefully out of the curve there. Because as we know, the tight end position is critical for an Aggie offense, and the tight end position was non-existent last year. So let me ask you this, um, and, and let's put Tariq Cohen aside out of the backfield or whatever, whatever you want to call Tariq Cohen, a weapon, whatever. We'll put him aside. The second, the, the second best passing target for the Bears this year will be who? The second best, man, that is – so outside of Allen Robinson. Yeah, so Allen Robinson gonna, is going to be the top dog. Who's the number two dog for, for the Bears at receiving? You know, I, I think I'm going to feed off of what you just said with Jimmy Graham. I think it's going to be Jimmy Graham. I, I think that – I mean, look, just look at, look at the tight end production that they had in 2019 versus 2018, and then look at how – effective Sharik Cohen was in those two years and I, I don't think there it, you can easily draw that parallel to say that the tight end production in 2018 and Cohen's production was hand in hand versus last year when Cohen struggled and they had no tight end production and I think that ultimately especially with a guy like Jimmy Graham where you can essentially use him as a big receiver at times and I think Cole Komet is going to morph into a good tight end but rookie tight ends don't usually do much I think Jimmy Graham uh, is going to be big. And again, it's not, you look at it and he's not going to be what he was in New Orleans. He's not going to be what he was in Seattle in his prime. But when you look at how the Packers used him and you look at what he's actually good at, he's still a good receiving tight end. He's still not a bad route runner. He still gets good separation. I, I think that he's going to be a much bigger part of the offense. And I think the big key here, and I knock on wood, hopefully I'm not jinx anything, Jimmy Graham stays healthy. That's one issue. I mean, Trey Burton had a pretty good, at least I would argue, the first half of 2018 when he signed that deal. He had a pretty, pretty damn good, uh, you know, I'd say, what, nine, ten games. And then it seemed like things kind of fell apart in that Detroit game. And then obviously the injury and everything kind of went from there. But, I mean, this, this offense, when you look at it, whether you look at Kansas City, whether you look at Philadelphia, this offense is meant to have – big production out of the tight end position. And I think, you know, I, and again, I'm not saying Jimmy Graham's going to have a thousand yards by any means, but I think that Jimmy Graham is probably going to be their second best overall pass catcher. 
and overall more important overall important pass catcher in terms of outside of Allen Robinson just because of how important that is and how important it is to have that production from the tight end position to be able to set up other things whether that's Anthony Miller whether that's Tariq Cohen whether that's Corderell Patterson I mean who knows but I think that Graham is definitely going to be that guy all right let's, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball um, let me start here is the biggest issue on defense this year depth Oh man. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess, you, I guess it depends what position you're looking at though. Right. Because. Well, I'm looking at outside linebacker. I'm looking at inside linebacker. I'm looking at cornerback. I'm looking yeah. at a lot of positions. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think, I mean, obviously defensive line and safety, I think are in pretty good shape. Uh, inside linebacker is a little scary. Corner is a little scary just because you don't have a lot of proven depth there. I'm not as worried at outside linebacker just cause I think they've, I mean, it's just one of those situations unless you get really lucky the depth at outside linebacker as far as pass rushers go is always going to be tough, but I think it's going to depend on where the injury is at, because obviously I'm going to feel really uncomfortable if Jalen Johnson goes down and they're having to rely on Kendall Vildor on the outside. I mean, he was a fifth round rookie for a reason, nothing against him. He could be a good player, but that, that was kind of the one thing with Kevin Tolliver. I understand, I, I understand why they did what they did, but you know, it's one of those situations where I think that Prince of Mukamura is still going to be somebody that they could probably bring in. Um, and then inside linebackers where I'm really concerned because, I mean, you just got to look at it. It's like if one of Trevathan and Roquan Smith goes down, which has happened damn near every year, uh, all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where you got Josh Woods or Iggy, and neither one of those guys have done anything to impress anybody. And all of a sudden those are the guys that, you know, in terms of depth. And then, of course, Alec Ogletree signed, uh, I think he's on the Jets practice squad now. So, I think depth's a little bit of a concern, but I think at the same time, especially let's just say, look at the outside linebacker, right? I mean, the drop off from Khalil Mack to damn near anybody is going to be really tough to swallow. The same thing with Akeem Hicks. I mean, the, the drop off, even with Eddie Goldman there, if Akeem Hicks goes down like he did last year, that production is going to go down. And not only is that production going to go down, but the focus on that one player is going to be spread out and you're going to see it through multiple different positions. So I think, yeah, I'm a little concerned when it comes to inside linebacker just because I think that's a little bit more interchangeable. And I think we kind of saw that last year with Kwiatkowski and with, with Kevin Pierre-Lewis and then corner. But I think overall, I'm not as concerned with the depth as maybe some people are. Um, but then again, I think it's because they still have such good starters and they've knock on wood again, they've done a pretty good job of staying healthy within this naggy regime of being able to, you know, keep guys off the injury reports and more importantly, keep guys off the injury reserve. The nice thing is, and this is something that I'm kind of curious if it's going to play a role or not too, uh, is the fact that players only have to stay on injured reserve for three weeks now. And I think that's going to be huge because in a lot of situations you had guys that maybe you could have placed on injured reserve if you know they're going to be gone for a month, month and a half. You could place them on IR and then you could bring them back um, versus other guys and you only had two of those spots and that only changed last year. So I think that could be another big play on why maybe death isn't quite as big of an issue. Obviously, you'll still have the season enders, but now t teams won't have to face these tough decisions on, okay, this guy may miss five or six weeks. Do we keep him on the do we keep him on the active roster and, you know, basically have him as one of the, the scratches or do we IR him and maybe use him as one of the return? I, you know, it, 
I guess we'll see. I just I think the Bears have enough on defense and enough talent at all positions where if something happens at one of the other positions where maybe they're lacking a little bit of depth, um, I, I just I don't know. I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue. Plus, there's still a decent amount of free agents out there right now that are going to be non-guaranteed contracts after week one that, you know, maybe the Bears are just kind of waiting on stuff like that since they're kind of penny-pinching right now. Yeah, that, that definitely could be it because out of all the depth positions you mentioned – uh, and I agree with you. Inside linebacker to me is the big concern because out of those positions, that's where they've had the least durable guys, especially Trevathan, who always misses time. And look, they made the decision to go older and go Trevathan, you know, more established than Kwiatkowski. That was that was their decision, but they didn't do anything uh, to 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 fortify that. I mean, the fact that you had Nick Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis last year gave you great depth at the inside linebacker position, and they needed it. Both backups were starting by the end of the year. And now this year, you've got a huge question mark if one of those guys gets hurt. And you almost, it's not a matter of if with them, it's usually a matter of when. But in terms of the defense as a whole, 2019 defense was, was very good. But in terms of the flash, in terms of what they needed to do to set up the offense, it wasn't there. They were a bend, don't break defense. They didn't allow a lot of points, but they didn't get to the quarterback very much. They didn't cause turnovers. There were no defensive touchdowns. The, the offense wasn't setting up first and 10 on the opponent's 22 very much. Do you think this year we're going to see a defense closer to Vic Fangio's 2018 defense or still more in the mold of the 2019 Chuck Pagano defense that we saw last year? I think the Bears are going to be able to be a lot more aggressive this year because, I, you know, you look at it and obviously losing Akeem Hicks was big. But then the other aspect of that was the fact that outside of Khalil Mack, the outside linebackers had a total of three sacks the entire season. Those all came from Leonard Floyd. I mean, none of the sacks that Aaron Lynch had came from the outside linebacker position. He was lined up because he was so damn big. He was lined up as a defensive lineman. And so I, I think alone when you look at it, and again, I'm not, I'm not here to say that Barkevius Mingo is going to be some revelation as depth or anything like that, but I do think the signing of Robert Quinn is going to be big because he is much more of a speed rusher. So that's definitely going to help. And just having Akeem Hicks back is going to be big as well. I mean, obviously they're going to be missing Goldman. So maybe the, the you know, against the run, they're going to suffer a little bit. But I think when you, when you look at their pass rush as a whole, it should be a lot better this year. And plus you just kind of look at what they're doing with their defensive backs. Jalen Johnson's a very aggressive guy. He's definitely a playmaker. And I think the other thing too, is they have that flexibility with Deshaun Gibson, where he's not nearly what ha Clinton Dix was in terms of he's, he can play close to the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's definitely not your typical in-the-box safety by any means, but he has good coverage as well. But he's definitely not as much of a liability as Clinton Dix. And the other aspect of that, too, is, is they can kind of go interchangeable with Deion Bush as well, who is definitely more of that in-the-box type safety. So I think the, the way that they've kind of designed things and just with health in general, I think it's going to take less – it's going to take more pressure off of Mac. It's going to put less pressure on one player and essentially kind of level out the playing field in terms of what they're doing with pass rush. And then again, I think, you know, looking at last year, I mean, Kyle Fuller had a little bit of a down year. Uh, Prince of Mukamura was not good at all. And then I don't really think that the safety tandem that they had, especially with Clinton Dix back there last year, really helped out Eddie Jackson that much. And I think having Jackson play that more center fielder role and really be able to be that deep safety and be that playmaker, I think is really going to help. So I'm expecting more, and I don't know if it'll be exactly 2018 because that was a really damn good defense, but I do think it's going to resemble more 2018 than it will 2019, obviously health barring all. Yeah. And that's of course, if the defense stays relatively healthy. So 
let's wrap up with this. I was going to ask kind of a season prediction, but you've kind of already given, you know, you definitely think they're kind of looking somewhere in that eight and eight range, but let's look at the Detroit game quickly here. I know I've had John for quite a while. Give me your prediction for the game and give me your prediction for a Trubisky performance. Well, I think the Bears are going to win. I think the Bears still match up really well against the Lions. And like you pointed out earlier on the show, I mean, Matt Patricia has not shown an ability to adjust at all to anything that the Bears are doing and anything that Trubisky's doing. So my guess is, I, and I'll, I'll stick with this, I think it can be somewhat of a close game. And obviously that kind of depends on uh, Vitae right now isn't practicing and neither is Kenny Galladay. Um, and there's some talk that Jeff Okuda may not even start at corner, which is crazy to me, but whatever. I'm going to go with 24-20, uh, the Bears win. Uh, I think the game is going to be a little bit more controlled than that. I think when you look at Trubisky, I'm looking right around. It, it, this is just kind of something that the, the number just kind of speaks well. I'm going to say 280 yards, two touchdowns, uh, one interception, but overall a pretty, pretty solid game. Yeah, if you're right where I, 2420 is, you took the words right out of my, my mouth. That's exactly where I am. I'll also say two TDs, one pick. I'll go about 240 yards, though. And I'm, I'm not going to say he's going to get quite as close to 300 as you do. But uh, let's, let's wrap it up there. Aaron Lemming, Bear Report, and Windy City Gridiron. You guys all follow him on Twitter at, at Lemming NFL, correct? Yep, at Aaron Lemming NFL. At Aaron Lemming NFL. There you go. At Aaron Lemming NFL. Give him a follow if you don't. I'm sure you already do. Uh, but Aaron, thanks so much for jumping on. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking again down the line uh, as the Bears gear up for a playoff push or, or something fun. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I always, always enjoy coming on with you. So anytime, man. All right. There he is, Aaron Lemming. Always a good spot with Aaron. Gives you tons of information, tons of detail, tons of opinion in there. And yeah, he's, he's where I am on this season. This team does not have the kind of talent level where they're going to bottom out, I don't think, and go 3-13 and 13 and kind of get in the mix there for a top, top quarterback. But it's going to be hard-pressed for this team to really put string together and win 11, 12 games either. So I think you're, you're looking at a ceiling of about 10 wins. I think you're probably looking at around eight wins. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of NFL purgatory. That's not where you want to be picking 15 when you need a quarterback which I assume, unless Mitch Trubisky somehow balls out, and I, you know, if you, you listen to me before Aaron's interview, you listen to Aaron during that interview, a lot of people have a lot of doubts about that, and I'm, I'm one of them. So assuming Tris, Trubisky is, is no better than, than mediocre, the Chicago Bears are going to be looking for a quarterback in that draft 2021. At least you would think they would. Um, and if that's the case, that's going to uh, be a tough position to be in there around 15 or so. That potentially means giving up more draft capital to move up in the draft to get the quarterback they want. And that's something Ryan Pace has been doing too much, as, as we know. But uh, Detroit game coming up, I do agree with Aaron. I think the, the Bears are going to win. Detroit has not fared well against the Bears. That is the one defense Mitch Trubisky really handles well. And again, like I said before, it's because Matt Patricia does not disguise coverages. When you get up to the line of scrimmage as a quarterback, what you see is what you get. And... If you execute better than the defense does, you will win. So it's, you know, Trubisky's biggest weakness, as we know, is reading and reacting to those defenses, not just the actual execution. So if, if Patricia doesn't throw anything at him, I do expect Trubisky to play well. Like I said, 240 yards, two TDs, one interception. That's a, a pretty good day for Mitch, and I do think that means the Bears would win the game. I'll stick with what Aaron said, 24-20. 
And uh, we'll be talking at you next week, hopefully after a Chicago Bears victory. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. Really appreciate all you who tuned in this week. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.